If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, welcome to episode 172 of the Leading Learning Podcast. This time around, we talk with Harold Jarkey. Harold has been blogging in the learning and development field for a decade and a half, and he's become known globally for his approach to personal knowledge mastery, or PKM, and that's really a concept that we believe every learning business professional needs to understand. And Jeff, right now, you and I are both participating in Harold's online course on PKM, so this seemed like a great time to get him to come on the show. Jeff, you were the one who got to talk with Harold. Tell us a little bit, what did you cover with him? Well, it was a great conversation. I've followed Harold's work for many years. I've been a reader of his blog, and I've wanted to reach out for some time now for an interview. And as you noted, this turned out to be a great time to do it. And so in the interview, we, of course, get into what personal knowledge mastery is. Harold provides a bit of an overview, and I would describe it in a nutshell as an approach to cultivating, managing, making sense of and learning from the many sources of knowledge that we have available to us in today's highly connected world. And, you know, Harold's been working on this for a long time. He has an approach that's at this point really refined. It's very approachable, incredibly useful to anyone who wants to be able to both create and receive more value in the knowledge networks and communities that are a part of their lives. And so we talk about how individuals can pursue PKM, We talk about the role of learning businesses and particularly membership organizations in supporting it. And then as part of that, we talk about the difference between social networks and communities of practice and the important role that diversity plays in effective communities. And I think we managed to go both deep enough and broad enough on PKM for this to be eye-opening to listeners who are not yet familiar with the concept and still very useful to those who are. And overall, I think there's just a lot that's very useful in this conversation. Well, and I think that uh, Harold is a great avatar when it comes to PKM, and uh, he even um, plays with that M a little bit. You know, it's it's personal knowledge management to, to many folks, but he likes to talk about personal knowledge mastery because he really is a master of this and he is a great example, a great avatar. And we do get into why it is mastery at one point in, in the podcast, so listeners will have to, to tune in to find out. Well, with that, let's roll the interview with Harold Jarkey. Hello out there, I'm Jeff Cobb. This is the Leading Learning Podcast, and today I'm talking with Harold Yarkey. I became familiar with Harold many years ago as a blogger who consistently published what I thought was some of the most interesting new thinking in the world of learning and development, and I'm definitely far from alone in thinking that. Harold has been described as a keen subversive of the last century's management and education models, and his blog has been praised as a beacon of light in the dark landscape of organizational learning. According to one longtime reader, Harold is one of the best thinkers out there on things related to learning and work. Now, aside from attracting praise from a wide network of readers and followers, Harold is also an independent consultant and speaker who helps his clients to identify next practices around collaboration, knowledge sharing, and innovation in an increasingly complex networked world. 
And those are areas I'm certainly hoping that we're going to explore in today's episode. But first, Harold, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thanks very much, Jeff. I really appreciate being here. Well, appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a, a, a global traveler and, and worker, um, so great to be able to uh, sit down and have this conversation with you. And I, I gave a bit of an introduction there, but um, you know, I, I'd love for listeners to have the chance to hear a bit more from you about yourself. What, what would you highlight for listeners in terms of, of your, your background? Um, I guess, well, first of all, where I live, which uh, has a pretty, uh, I think, a direct impact on my perspective is that I'm basically, I pretty well live on the edge. Uh, I live in, on the edge of North America here in the province of New Brunswick uh, and about a two hours drive from the main border. Uh, we're even in, have a different time zone here, we're Atlantic time, not, uh, not Eastern time. And I live in a small town of 5,000 people. The nearest uh, city to me would be either Boston or or Montreal, and they're a little over 600 miles away. So there's not much that's really close, and I think that that is is, is significant. Um, one of the things I've been an independent consultant now for 15 years, and one of the reasons that I have a global perspective is because there's very little here in mm-hmm. uh, in terms of business. So like uh, there's there's no local or regional economy to do the the kind of work uh, that I that I really like doing. So I've had to have a more global perspective and being a blogger has really helped me with that. I mean, my international community stems pretty well directly from my blog, which is uh, turns 15 next month. Wow. So you're, you're, I guess you're, I don't want to call you an old man, but I guess you're an old man of the, of the blogging world. (laughs) Well, I'd say that my kids call me an old man. So uh, that's, that's acceptable. Well, Um, our kids never respect us sufficiently. No, no, not, not not at all. Um, And so I'd say that, that is that's the big thing is the external perspective and also having to use all of these technologies uh, the, the social media blogs different types of things uh, for me were the big enabler because without the the web or the or, and the net there's no way that I that some guy living in Sackville New Brunswick uh, would be working and I do pr- pretty well work uh, all over the world most of my work right now about eighty percent is in Europe wow um, but I but I have worked in uh, in Australia I've done a lot of work in the United States uh, throughout uh, uh, probably in a dozen different states at least uh, as well as um, uh, South America and South Africa mm. and that's all because of this web this web thing and so uh, uh, yeah I eat my own dog food as my uh, as my ex-business partner now deceased uh, Jay Cross used to say is it, mm. uh, is it you have to eat your own dog food and so uh, I see he changed that and he said no we should we shouldn't say eat your own dog food we should say drink your own champagne yeah, but that's that's way better. Much nicer. Much nicer. <laughs> so I'm drinking my own champagne of uh, using all these different tools and technologies uh, for for myself. And you, you spoke of uh, personal knowledge mastery, um, and we can get into that in, in detail later. But uh, it derived from a personal need. You know, I mm-hmm. built it. I did it for myself. I did this, was not designed to be a business. Right. Right. Well, you, you've taken it much further than than I ever have. But I've been amazed, and I've made the comment before that you know, sitting here and in Little Carborough, North Carolina, which is which is larger than where you are, admittedly, but still, you know that uh, myself and my partner sitting here can can reach people all over the world and and connect with them and impact them. I remember when I first started blogging, one of the first relations I relationships I developed through blogging was with a fellow in Malaysia, you know, which 
that, that just never would have happened um, before. And, you know, we had a, a really meaningful uh, discussions going on there for a while. So you, you already mentioned it, and it is, it is one of the first things I wanted to, to turn to here, because um, as somebody who, ha- who has followed your, your blogging for a long time, followed your work for a long time, uh, really one of the main things that you are known for is personal knowledge mastery. And um, and I'll say as an aside, I'm, I'm actually, to listeners, I'm actually participating in Harold's personal knowledge mastery online course right now, which is fantastic. Uh, highly recommended so that I can learn about this much more deeply and, and make it a much more active practice for myself. Can, can you give uh, listeners the, the overview, uh, uh, Harold, for those who may not really be familiar or just need to go a little deeper on, on what it actually means? Yeah, it's generally speaking is that it's, it's a discipline, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, PKM is a framework that I've uh, uh, created based upon work of many other people from personal knowledge management, which was actually fairly popular in KM circles and the knowledge management circles uh, back in the late 90s or early 2000s. There, And I was influenced heavily by uh, Lilia Efimova and uh, Denim Gray and Dave Pollard, who were the three that were really promoting it uh, in the early 2000s. Um, and really what it is, it's a, it, it's a way of uh, looking at uh, your learning, particularly your informal learning, your social learning, uh, the, your non-educational, non-course learning, and how do you stay current as a professional? And in particularly in, in, in three areas. One is the work that you're doing, that uh, so we're all involved in some kind of work. The other one is in a professional social network, so being cognizant of what the heck is a is a social network how do social networks work how do i engage with them what are the tools so it's not just the technology and then uh thirdly is the uh the role the growing role of communities of practice and uh i think that any professional today who's not involved in a community of practice is really missing out on something the way i define a community of practice is that you know you're in one if it changes your practice and I think that for, for, for people who work with associations, this is a real critical thing because our institutions, our academic um, uh, organizations aren't able to keep up with those growing, changing demands of you know what's happening, whether it's blockchain today or whether it's uh, artificial intelligence tomorrow or, or something like that. And we need to be able to connect with other people, to build trusted networks so we can make decisions, so we can uh, decide where we're going to go. We can get up to date on, on on a myriad of fields that affect all of our lives. So that's so 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 the PKM and again on my blog, it's you know I described you know the 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 nuts and bolts of it. But all it is, it, it's um, it, it's it's a very simple model of seek, sense, share. So you have to seek out people, ideas, and then this. Well, how do you do it? And how do you know you have a diverse enough group and things like that? Then you have to. Then this is the hardest part. Then you have to find sense-making processes. You have to find some way of how do you make sense on an ongoing basis of what you're living, what you're experiencing, what you want to learn, who you want to know about, those kinds of things. And for me, the blog is a very core component of it, but that's not necessary. There are other sense-making uh, tools and, and, and methods. And then finally, the sharing is that it's. Re- I think it's critical today for us to share out our knowledge with our networks because our networks influence us. And if we don't share with our networks, then our networks are going to get dumber. Our communities are going to, are going to get dumber. And people may make decisions that are not in our best interest. You know, we see that in politics. We see that all, uh, uh, with um, um, 
on what decisions people make around uh, climate change and things like that is that uh, it becomes really important that we help make our network smarter so our network can make better decisions and so we can live in a smarter network which actually is going to come back to us indirectly. So mm. that I think is the, the critical shift in this is that it's you have to give before you get. So the story about, uh, so blogging is a really important part of my PKM uh, uh, discipline. And back in 2004, um, so I, I, I went independent in 2003. We had two young children living here at home. They were about you know, 10 and 12 years old. My wife was a stay-at-home uh, mother. And, uh, you know, I, I got a little bit of work and then I didn't get much work. And, uh, you know, I was on the financial roller coaster. Of how the heck am I going to pay the bills? But one of the things I was doing was blogging. And one day as I was sitting here, my wife came over and she said, this is crazy. If you give away all your knowledge, nobody is going to hire you. Mm. And that is the thing that we have to stop thinking about because we're no longer in that, if I do A, I will get B thing. When you're in networks, it's kind of like, well, if I do A, something else may come around in a very indirect way. Um, and if I don't do a, I mean, if I, I look at it now, so, you know, I, I, I have a list of varied clients, speaking engagements around the world and all that kind of stuff is that I could not have said in 2004 that, well, if I write a blog in five years time, I'm going to get invited to Johannesburg to speak at an international conference. Right. Right. I can't do that. Right. However, I can say that if I didn't have a blog, I would not have been invited to speak at that conference. And that, so, it, and, and that becomes the difficult thing. Like one of the things I find with uh, when I, you know, I teach PKM is that um, the benefits aren't obvious at the beginning. They're only obvious after you've been doing this for a while. The aha moment comes quite much later. And sometimes it doesn't even come during the workshop. I've had people come back. There's one person on our workshop right now who took the, the workshop two years ago. And he's he, on, on this one, I just talked <clears throat> talk to him. He's in New Zealand. And he said, yeah, he said, I'm really starting to put this stuff together now. So it's uh, the ROI is not obvious. A big part of why we're able to offer the Leading Learning Podcast as a personal knowledge resource to our listeners is the generous support we receive from sponsors like Blue Sky eLearn. Blue Sky eLearn is the creator of the PATH Learning Management System, an award-winning cloud-based learning solution that allows organizations to easily deliver, track, and monetize valuable education and event content online. Blue Sky also provides webinar and webcast services, helping you maximize your content and create deeper engagement with your audience across the world. To find out more about Blue Sky eLearn and everything they offer, visit leadinglearning.com slash blue sky. And now back to Jeff's conversation with Harold as they discuss how a certain level of faith factors into offering knowledge to the world. Well, and it, it, as you're talking about it, I hadn't really even thought about this so much before, but um, I mean, there's a certain amount of, I don't know if it's faith or if it's just a, an optimistic perspective on humanity that uh, that is needed to, to fuel this. Like, like you said, you may not get that return for a long time. You're just putting stuff out there um, and, and hoping really that it's eventually going to connect. 
Yeah, it's a bit more than faith because I, you know, this stuff is based on research and mm. deep research in a lot of areas. And if you take a look at uh, network theory, particularly around human knowledge networks, is that optimal knowledge network is based on openness, transparency, and diversity, right? And that because if you uh, if you're open, if you're transparent, and the diversity means you get diversity of opinion. That means that you get better knowledge flows faster in that type of a network, right? So. That's not that's not the faith part in it. But if you take a look at how humanity um, uh, succeeded, it wasn't uh, what you know. Some people say you know this Darwinian competitive doggy dog thing. It actually was through cooperation. It was people cooperating with others, and we still see that. I mean, if you walk down the street in a strange town and you ask somebody for directions, they'll probably give them to you. Mm-hmm. They don't charge any money for it. Right. They, uh, they, they won't ask for anything indirectly because that's the normal human thing that we do. Right? It's, it's like posting a YouTube video on how to do something. I'm a, I'm a big cyclist. Right. So I come up with a problem with my repairs. I go on YouTube and, and I find the video that shows me how to you know, replace a chain or, or whatever else, else I'm, I'm going to do. No one's getting paid for that. I mean, the monetization, yes, it is happening. But, but people, for the most part, are not doing it for monetization purposes. Uh, so we are a cooperative species, and but the shift that we're making from a, what I see as a market-dominated society to a network-dominated society is that the behavior in networks, the optimal behavior in networks, is more is is, is cooperative. It's not competitive like it is in a market. So the and you can see that with uh, with reputation. So uh, for example, is that I, I know a university professor, quite young, um, actually down your neck of the woods, and I think in Maryland, and uh, she's uh, she's well known in her, in her field. Uh, because she's a blogger and she's got 50,000 followers on Twitter and things like that. And um, she gets invited to speak all over the world, right? And then she's flying around and doing all this kind of stuff. Her boss, the head of the department, right, doesn't get invited to speak anywhere. But he has hierarchical power inside that organization. So he can, she has reputational power mm-hmm. in, inside various networks, and because in, 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 in networks, it's your reputation, right? That's, that, that is the way that you can influence people. I can influence people, some people perhaps through my writing, right? Because I have a, because I have a reputation for that. They don't have to read it. It's not that I am the CEO of, you know, X company or, or anything like that. So that shifting in, 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 in where influence resides, I think we have to be able to understand things like networks, social, professional social networks, particularly, and then rapid change, much more complex, more connections, more relationships, is that we can't make sense of this our own, right? We can't go back to university every three years and sort of get a top up and then we're good to go. We have to have these ongoing kinds of conversations like we're having now. Right. And of course, your, your, your reputation, I mean, if that's sort of the, the, the asset, the capital you've built up, that's portable. Um, hierarchy isn't very portable, uh, yeah, the um, uh, well, the hierarchy. I mean, I ask this of when I when I work with uh, executives and CEOs. And I say, um, let's take your title away, and you're no longer you, you're, you're just you know, Joe 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 who here, and uh, tell me what you could actually get done in your organization. Right? There are some people in those organizations who are very low on the rung, and they can get lots done. Right. And uh, so, you know, you, you strip that away. Hierarchy is still necessary. One of the things what, what I promote is um, what called temporary negotiated hierarchy. So if you can set an organization up so that people can self-form, okay, 
Jeff, you, me, and somebody else, we're going to form a team. There's three of us. We're going to get this thing done. But you know what? To get stuff done, somebody's got to be in charge. There's got to be deadlines. There's got to be uh, deliverables and all that kind of stuff. So and this is what freelancers do all the time, right? Is that if there are three or four or 10 of us working on a project, somebody's in charge. Okay, you're the lead. Somebody's in charge of the, you know, the client relations. Somebody's in charge of the deadline. Somebody's in charge of quality or whatever. And we give that freely. We give that authority to that person. Right for the duration of that project, then we we disperse and we may reform, and now somebody else is in charge. Right, and the, what what that really does is that makes things smarter. So the best person is in charge at the best time for the best period of time. Whereas if you have a if if you have a hierarchy that's in an, in an organization, the org chart and stuff like that, that organization is only as smart as the person at the top of that hierarchy as that bottleneck. That, that's a dumb network, right? right? It doesn't enable that type of uh, uh, the knowledge flow and decision-making that you can have within these small ones. So uh, instead of doing an organization of uh, uh, every five years or whatever we see in companies, you need to be, build reorganization into the organization itself. Mm, and, and and that's a big mental shift and that's, yeah, where, that's yeah. where things like PKM and being connected to a diverse network and being a member of uh, communities of practice. So I run a community of practice and I'm a member of three or four other online communities of practice. One is more focused on changing nature of work and technology. Another one is focused on more on learning. And, uh, and, and these are people all over the world. And, and, and you just said, you know, it's, it's a shift basically to, yeah. to, to embrace this. I'd, I'd love to talk about that shift from kind of two ends of the spectrum. One is, the individual who, who wants to embrace uh, personal knowledge mastery. And at some point I'd love to get back to why it's mastery as opposed to management. But for now, um, an individual who wants to embrace this, how do you start engaging with your life and your work in, in this way, in the best possible way so that ultimately you, you are going to get some sort of return off of it. How do you go about this in a smart way? What are some initial moves? I think one of the things is to take a look at your problem um, is to map your network, you know, as, as we did in there. But I mean, just you, you just think about that in terms of um, um, you, you draw a circle. Who are the people I trust? Uh, right. And uh, how many people would you trust with career advice or with professional advice? Right. You probably it's probably a small number. You know, who are the people I respect, uh, you know, maybe, but I don't really know them well enough and get that. You know, who are the people that I don't trust? And then you can take a look at them as that, uh, you know, where am I getting all my news and views and perspectives from? Um, am I uh, am I getting a diversity of opinion? I was talking uh, yesterday yesterday with uh, uh, with a fellow, and we were talking about just uh, regular news sources, you know. So the thing is, you know, and, and, we're, and we're talking about the BBC. And one of the things that I've done is that I have um, so I, I I listen to CBC Canada Broadcasting Corporation because I, I want a Canadian perspective on certain things, but I also uh, subscribe to El País in Spain and to Spiegel in Germany and the Guardian in the UK. And I'm actually looking at uh, the Christian Science Monitor, which uh, that's an interesting source of information because when I was an Army intelligence officer, that was our number one source of unclassified information really? worldwide. Yeah. worldwide. It was, <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, so yeah, because they don't really have, um, they don't have an ax to grind. It's mm. uh, they, they really are into getting the information. Um, Al Jazeera for a while, I was on and off with them. BBC, I was on and off with them as well. But it's also just saying, is, am I getting 
a variety of perspectives, you know, of, uh, of for, and, and, and particularly on stuff that's important to you. I think that's it. it is that, are you doing that? Um, the other question to ask is, okay, if you have a job, okay, and you've been in that job for a couple of years at least, ask yourself, if you lost your job tomorrow, who could help you find another job or other work? And I've been in that situation myself and with other, some clients. I had a, I had a client uh, site shut down while I was doing a project. And my, my client uh, lead was, um, had been there for 17 years. It was a, a pharmaceutical company. And uh, we went through the network mapping exercise and different things with her. And she realized that professionally, the only people she knew were in that company. And she had no professional relationships outside. So you think about your professional network as a social safety net. Okay. Do you have a social safety net? You know, I have a friend of mine who now works for one of the biggest artificial intelligence companies in the world. And um, he was one of, he was one of the first bloggers, right? He did his PhD on blogging in the nineties, <laughs> long time ago. And one thing that he did is that he was working for the government, but he wanted to change jobs. And so he put a reverse job posting on on his on his blog and he said i'm looking for work and i'm looking for a company that's got this and it's got that and this is the kind of stuff i'm interested in doing and that all that kind of stuff now he had a lot of respect you know and he got a job offer you know the next day basically the guy called him up and said you want to work for social cast you think this you know good thing here and off he did and he went work for social cast for a couple of years so that that is a it is, I mean, the web, the internet is turning things on its head. And we're seeing that already with, uh, you know, with Uber and with uh, Google and Facebook, or, you know, for good, bad and worse. Well, and I would encourage anybody listening to, to go through that exercise because it's part of what you've had us do in, in the course. And, um, you know, I've always semi-consciously made sure I was building a, a network and a diverse network and trying to you know, build my reputation, but it was still extremely eye-opening to be very intentional about going through and figuring out who is in that network. And as you said, who do you trust and who do you go to for what? Uh, one of the things I discovered is I've got, I've got a fairly diverse network, a lot of loose connections that I rely on for different types of information. When it comes to people who I will go to around a decision, though, you know, something that feels critical, it's it, really my partner, Salisa, is pretty much the only person who fell in that camp. And it made me wonder, should I have other people who I, you know, should, should go to for uh, those types of decisions? And the answer is probably yes, but uh, mm-hmm. at least at this point, I don't. Yeah. Well, you, uh, you were asking about why mastery and why not management. Mm. In, in so it, it was personal knowledge management was, is not my term. Um, you know, I, I, I took it particularly from Lilia Fomova because she was doing her doctoral thesis, taking a look at no, people using blogs for knowledge sharing. And she was examining about a dozen different uh, professionals in a, in a certain area, research professors and things like that. And uh, so uh, that's that's where the the idea and the initial framework came from and then i started mapping out well this is how i do it and that's all i did is i wrote on my blog about uh, i'm using this for that using this tool and putting this together and and it was just for me sort of thinking out loud and slapping it up there on on, on my blog um later probably i think it's been perhaps five years um there are other people who are talking about personal knowledge management and by this time, there were organizations that were interested in my framework. And uh, it was actually in one of my communities of practice, this online community of about uh, 15 people. Um, and we were talking about uh, PKM and talking about mastery. And one of them suggested is that we, you should call this personal knowledge mastery. Mm-hmm. And, on t- and, and one thing it does is it differentiates me. 
because I'm well, I'm not the only person who uses it. Somebody else uses it who just sort of grabbed the name and uh, I mean I haven't I haven't trademarked it or anything like that, but has uh, has uh, sort of run their own mini version of uh, of this thing. And I won't tell you who that is because I'm not going to support them. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, but 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 the mastery part really makes sense to me because it's an ongoing process. You never get to the end, is it? So it's like uh, any uh, discipline. It's like practicing meditation, tai chi, or something like that. It's not, it's not like you ever get. It's like you know, well, have you finished? You know, being a, a karate. Uh, a person or something no you're constantly trying to get better get more refined um, as you go through and that's what i see with pkm so i'm constant not quickly but i'm you know every year or two i'm changing things slightly in the way that i'm practicing it right right and what i said i wanted to to talk from two perspectives there's that sort of personal perspective that um we've just been talking about but then a significant percentage of uh, listeners uh, to to this podcast uh, work for membership organizations or, or have some sort of a membership model in, in how they conduct business. And I wonder, you know, how you think about um, you know people who who are facilitating traditional membership. I mean, networking has always been a big thing, you know, for trade and professional associations. But I think that term has been used very loosely. I mean, if you're in, in, in charge of helping to lead learning for that type of organization, how would you think about yourself as a network or potentially as a community of practice? What might you do differently in this day and age? Well, my, you know, uh, I, I, I do um, a fair bit of work around uh, the changing nature of leadership. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I say is that uh, leadership is helping make the network smarter. And I think that as association professionals, you have to think about that is that how can you make your network smarter? Mm. Part of that, and I said one of the biggest gaps I see amongst uh, most professionals is that they don't belong to a community of practice. And a community of practice is something in which um, uh, you self-identify as a member, right? So like uh, if you're a model railroader and you meet another model railroaders, there's a community there in in that. Same thing as chefs, chefs around the world. They meet, the first thing they do is they take their knives out, you know, and say, well, what kind of knives are you using? Cool. And and, and project managers and, you know, different types of people. So uh, for associations, I think that there is a real opportunity for – uh, first of all, is that there are already a lot of communities to practice, but it is identifying them and then finding ways. Well, how can we help you? It's mm-hmm. not just feeding stuff out there, but how can we help connect? You know, it could be something like having a uh, an incl- providing the technology for a uh, uh, for a discussion space. It could be hosting uh, live uh, sessions. Uh, could be a little bit about that. But thinking about it from these people want to be constantly upping their game. Right, in their profession, if you can help them do that, they will see value in that. And I think that as you know, as opposed to we just do the annual conference and then we have a certification program or something like that, that's not enough. People need if you can enable human connections, help mm-hmm. people build trusted relationships, and you know get access to the right people at the right time. I think that that's really valuable. If you're learning business with like greater visibility into how knowledge is flowing across the networks and communities it serves, you need effective tools for analyzing and drawing insights from data. Tools like those provided by our sponsor, Authentic Learning Labs. 
Authentic Learning Labs is an education company seeking to bring complementary tech and services to empower publishers and L&D organizations to help elevate their programs. The company leverages technology like AI, data analytics, and advanced embeddable API-based services to complement existing initiatives, offering capabilities that are typically out of reach for resource-stretched groups or growing programs needing to scale. Find out more at leadinglearning.com authentic. And now back to Jeff's conversation with Harold as they turn to discussing the critical role of community management skills. It, just, it strikes me that to, to be able to do that requires a certain um, level of sensitivity, capability, and the person or people who are trying to help make that happen, trying to facilitate uh, helping that happen. It's not just, you know, sign up here and check the box and let us know what you want for lunch sort of thing. No, community management skills are, they are skills, and there's a whole bunch of components to it. And so, uh, uh, you know, if you're an association executive or or working there, is that you should have community managers working for you, or you should be doing, or, or have the those those type those types of skill sets because people are, people are looking for that. People are, you know, we seek human connection and we seek trusted relationships. I mean, and you know, there's a big difference between an example of, of of Twitter and a private community of practice. So, uh, a couple of years ago, I put a post out on Twitter. I I, I replied to somebody else, but I didn't realize that there had been a number of um, other people copied on the message. It was Twitter just changed the way that they worked, and uh, and I said, hey, uh, I shared something, and then uh, somebody in that in that frame looked at it and they went uh, and, and they basically wrote, I've got it all. I wrote a blog post on it. This is, this is the biggest load of MBA crap I've ever seen. And then dozens of people started sort of, sort of jumping on and uh, saying, yeah, yeah, what an idiot. Oh, he's pretty stupid. And all that kind of stuff going on. Well, I mean, that's the nature of a, so, of a social network so is that the connections are very loose, right? And you don't know everybody and there's, and there's very limited trust in that. And it's really good for getting new ideas and getting diversity and stuff like that. But if you want to share stuff and you want to put yourself out there a little bit, you want to do that in a more trusted space. And that's where community of practice is that trusted space. Um, so that, so like in my communities, like um, the, the personal knowledge mastery thing, the name coming up, that was a discussion that we had in private. So it would ne- I'd never be a discussion I would do on Twitter or LinkedIn or anything like that where anybody could read it. I want to get good, I want to get nuanced contextual feedback from people I know who, even if they may criticize me, they may give me a hard time, but I know that they're only doing it with the best of intentions. Right. Um, so, and that space, and you, know, you see a lot of people saying, you know, you know, Twitter is a cesspool, Facebook is crap, fake news, and all that kind of stuff. Well, what can we do to avoid that? Is that we have to find these types of communities of practice that that are also give us some diversity, right? Maybe not the diversity of the wild west of Twitter, but and that's that's where the, the role of the community manager and the association is. Is that how can we make sure that that we don't all have you know this type of person? <laughs> in the group and all it becomes is an echo chamber. How do we get diverse opinions? How do we bring different people in? And how do we then, you know, make introductions? It's like, it's kind of like running the community dance, right? You get there and you look at the dance card and the social convener says you two should dance. And then after that, you two should dance and, you know, and they, they mix things up socially. I like that. Helping to make those, uh, those connections. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's fantastic. 
Well, we're, we're getting to the, the end of our uh, time together. And one thing we will definitely make sure we do is um, a link to some some posts on, on your blog, uh, maybe um, include a, a visual or two. You have some great visuals around PKM um, for, for folks to, to, to use to, to help deepen their understanding of what we've been talking about. So listeners should definitely come to the show notes for this episode. But before we wrap up, I, I want to ask a question um, that we, we ask of all uh, people who come on the show. And I think it's, I think it's particularly interesting to ask of you just because of the nature of um, your work and how you go about learning. So I'm, I'm intrigued to hear what you'll say. And that is, um, what's one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? Yeah, um, I've, yeah. I would have to say it's blogging mm-hmm. is that, okay. So, you know, I, I, I spent 20 years in the army. I, uh, I, I got a couple of degrees um, and, you know, I had to write for a living, but I have to say is that, you know, looking back at my master's thesis is that my writing was crap. And uh, now I'm a, I'm a professional writer, right? I've published my, my, my books. I, um, um, I have written for Harvard Business Review. I've written for a number of professional journals and, 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 and I'm a professional speaker. And the, the, the daily, weekly writing of ideas has really sharpened my mind. Has sh- you know, I've worked through a lot of different things because of that, and yeah, so yeah, blogging changed my life. There's there there's no doubt about it. It was that it was all of that writing. I've written over three thousand posts on my on my current blog, um, and yeah, it's it's the thing. And you don't it's like a, it's one grain of sand at a time. You don't see it until you get a whole pile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and do you do you strive to? write a certain amount uh, each week regardless of even whether you post it or not changed over the years uh you go back to 2004 uh i think it was uh third or fourth month of blogging i wrote like 60 blog posts in a month um but that was before twitter right so uh, before facebook and all that kind of stuff so uh, uh, a lot of the posts were very short uh i i try for um, for me a good week is three posts in a week um, and but I don't sweat it anymore. And sometimes I take a vacation. I'll take a couple of weeks off, and uh, then usually things get back. Every once in a while, it's kind of like, oh boy, I got nothing to write. I don't know what I'm going to say. Um, and I just wonder, like, like is this it? Is it over? <laughs> and luckily, usually something comes along. Keeps coming. All right, well, great. Well, I, I certainly blogging has been one of my most uh, formative experiences. I don't think I'm quite up there at the three thousand level yet, but I know I've, I've done several hundred posts at least at this point, and it. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, it really does help you to, to pull your thoughts together and uh, take all that curiosity and, and, and have to work yeah. with it. Turn it and, and, and one thing just uh, on the blog, one thing that uh, bloggers like and doesn't happen very often anymore is uh, people commenting on the blog because uh, people are doing that more on social media than right. they are on the blog. So any of your listeners there, if they read something and they like it or they don't like it, please, please comment. Always nice to know people are reading. 
Definitely, definitely. I will, I will second that. And, uh, and, and that's probably a good segue to, um, to where listeners can actually go to, um, to find your blog, to find more about you, and to, to potentially connect with you. Where should they go for that? Well, the blog's the best place, right? So it's at, uh, at jarky.com, J-A-R-C-H-E.com. Um, and then everything connects from there. There's one thing I actually um, encourage people to do is that your blog should be your home base and then everything else reaches out because there's a lot of social media that dies. And particularly if you host your own, as I do, is that you control it. Nobody else can mess it around or anything like that. So uh, start, start on that, and then you can find me on um, – I am on LinkedIn. I don't do a lot on it. Um, and Twitter is where I have conversations, uh, which is uh, – I still like Twitter in spite of all the, the crap that's online. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. We, we will include links to the blog um, and uh, to Twitter as well so that folks can potentially connect with you there. And um, this has been fantastic. Uh, thanks again, uh, Harold. Really appreciate your, your taking the time to, to come on to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Been a pleasure. That wraps up our interview with Harold Jarkey. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 172. And when you check out the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. If you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. It helps us to know that folks are actually out there downloading and gives us some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen to the Leading Learning Podcast. If you go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes, that will put you in the right place for leaving a review on iTunes. Jeff and I personally appreciate those ratings and reviews, but also those ratings and reviews play a really important role in helping others find the podcast. And another thing that plays an important role is the sponsors that we have for the podcast who basically give us the means to keep doing this week in and week out. So we'd be grateful if you would check out our sponsors for this quarter. And those are Authentic Learning Labs, who you can find at leadinglearning.com slash authentic, and Blue Sky eLearn. And you can find out what Blue Sky has to offer at leadinglearning.com slash blue sky. Finally, if you view leading learning as a valuable personal knowledge resource, please consider sharing it with your network. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leading lifelong learning and share us with others there on Facebook. However you choose to do it, we do hope that you will spread the good word about the podcast. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.